Hey everybody, Pastor Chris here. Thanks for listening to our Market Street Podcast. Wherever you're joining us from, we hope today's message helps you in your walk with Jesus. For more ways to connect, visit us at marketstreetchurch.org. Well, good morning. How's everyone? Good, good, good. So we are talking about Rally Cap, Rally Cap. And if you're not familiar with the Rally Cap, uh, the Rally Cap is a baseball, primarily a baseball superstition. Um, and what what would uh, what originated uh, by the Detroit Tigers uh, back in 1945. Uh, that's where it started. And and back in 1945, the the Tigers were. It was uh, mentioned over the radio while the Tigers were playing in the World Series uh, that they were trailing in the game, and they all uh, put put their hats uh, inside out just like that. Okay. And so the idea of, of rally cap is to really just, um, in a sense, like again, like again, it's a superstition, to appease uh, the baseball gods. There's no such thing as baseball gods, okay? Um, and let me just make that clear. And, but they would do that, and so they would do an act of humility or, or to say, I'll do whatever I need to do to look foolish to the baseball gods so that they can, you know, have favor with the baseball gods and then they can maybe have a chance to rally back into the game. Well, the Detroit Tigers back in 1945 did this and it seemed to work. I don't think it stirred the baseball gods. Uh, I just think that they just got lucky and uh, and that's what happened. Uh, but that's sort of where the rally cap originated from, hat, uh, cap, inside out, uh, just like this. Um, 41 years later, 41 years later, uh, the rally cap was reintroduced in another World Series. It was the 1986 World Series between the um, Boston Red Sox and the um, New York Mets. And a similar situation, it was game six. The New York Mets were trailing uh, in that game. They were trailing uh, three to two. Uh, they ended up in that point of the game, they were. It was noted that they were, and I think we have a couple pictures of it. Uh, they were noted uh, as putting on a rally cap. So, 41 years later, someone in the dugout for the New York Mets uh, decided, "Hey, we need to put our rally caps on." So, uh, this was a, a Sports Illustrated um, uh, story on this, and this is the Im an image from. From Sports Illustrated. There's another image too that they uh, later uh, did in the same series. There you go. Uh, so there's different forms, shapes, and forms to a rally cap uh, that you can do. But they ended up uh, trailing in game six, down, put the rally cap on, came back. And as a matter of fact, a part of their comeback in that game six was a very, very famous, infamous situation in baseball lore that um, it was a Boston Red Sox player who had an easy ground ball. He was a first baseman. His name was Bill Buckner. Any baseball fans in here recognize this? Okay. Bill Buckner, uh, had a, he was a first baseman, easy play, gold glover, and a slow roller, and it went right under his glove, right between the five hole. And, and they ended up scoring and tying it up, and then ultimately taking the lead and then forcing a game seven, trailing again in game seven, coming, putting on the rally caps again in game seven, 
coming back and winning the World Series. As a matter of fact, because of that, if you're, especially if you're from Boston, it was they, they would, de- again, baseball players, superstitious, right? They deemed that play by Bill, but- uh, Bill Butker as a curse on the Boston Red Sox, a curse that wasn't broken until 2004 uh, when, the, when the Boston Red, Scott, Red Sox were trailing the New York Yankees three games to zero and came all the way back and won the World Series, which broke the Bill Buckner curse. Welcome to baseball history, everybody. Let's pray and you can go home. Okay, no. All right. No, 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 no. We're talking about rallying. We're, we're rallying. We're, we're, we wanna, we're trailing. We're, we're behind. But uh, when, when, when God is a God of comebacks, that's what really what this is about, that God is a God of comebacks. And so we're going to share with you, I'm going to share with you today another comeback story, one of the greatest comeback stories of all time. And so here we sort of pick it up, and uh, Jesus has is, is now been uh, led uh, to laying himself down on a Roman cross. Let's not missed that point. Jesus willingly laid himself down on a Roman cross so that he can pay the sin debt for you and for me and for anyone who puts their faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. Anybody? Okay, good. So Jesus, but through that process, it was, a, it was a slew of injustices that were taking place. It was a trial that, was, that should have been a mistrial, and Jesus should have walked away innocent and not guilty. But again, it was a part of the plan of God. It was a part of the purposes of God. It was the will of God for Jesus to lay himself down on that cross. Anybody, just, just before I move on any further, does anybody hate time changes this week? Did anybody, is that a struggle for anybody? Yeah, I can't stand the time change, okay? The time change, it happened to us last week, right? And I know we fall back and we gain an hour, but was anybody just messed up all week from the time change? Like, is anybody like me just, I'm just tired. I was just tired all week. You know, I was tired and then I was hungrier earlier than what I normally am. Like, I remember, like, Monday night, my kids, it was, like, 4 o'clock. They just got home from school, and they're like, when's dinner? I'm starving. Like, they're just mowing on anything that they can grab, you know, out of the pantry. It was because of the time change. Like, right? And how terrible is this time change, too, by the way? Like, it's like you lose an hour. Now it's, like, dark at 530. Is that the worst? Like, at 530, and it's dark. And then now it's, like... 30, you know, so it's dark and it's cold and it's dreary, you know, and it just like, you just feel tired all the time, right? Anybody? But here's the good news. We go from fall back, but here's the good news. Spring forward is coming, right? Aren't you looking forward to the spring forward, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never thought I'd get more applause for fall back and spring forward. You're like, time change, it stinks too. Yes, I hate it. Listen, this is the comeback that Jesus is, this is the metaphor of the analogy that Jesus is trying to say here. He says this, if he says, for if they do these things when the tree is green, right, springtime, there's life, there's more light, 
You know, it's getting warmer. You know, the, it just feels better. You know, you're not as tired, right? He says, for if they do these things, talking about, you know, mistrials and, and false accusations and putting Jesus to execution. He says, if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? He's like, what will happen when it's like dark and cold and dreary? What will happen then? This is the metaphor that Jesus said. Now, so this is the scene. This is what Jesus is projecting. And this is then what he said, what happens next, according to Luke. Now, two others who were criminals were also being led away to be put to death with him. So these guys were, were uh, in other versions that says they were thieves, which means that they were, uh, these, these, these guys were most likely, we don't know a whole, a whole lot about them based on just this one word here, they were criminals or they were thieves. But these guys were most likely, they, were, uh, they, were, they, they stole things openly. And as a result of that, so they had a, probably an armed robbery situation where they, where they stole things openly, they robbed something, and then there was probably murder as a result of that. So they were going in open, robbing something, who knows what it was, probably to gain, gain some money. And these guys were criminals, got caught for it. And now because Rome didn't tolerate anything, they didn't tolerate anyone. They, it didn't matter like a big or small. Rome was going to exhibit its power, exhibit its authority, and they weren't going to let anybody get away with any of it. And so as a result of that, the same time that Jesus was was put on a cross, these two men were also put to, were going to be put to death as well by the same execution of a crucifixion. That's what was going to happen. And crucifixions were, was an open thing. It, Rome, it was near a tra highly trafficked road where lots of people walked by, a lot of bystanders, and Rome would crucify people so that people could see, listen, I don't know, and they would say things like, I don't know what they did, but I don't want to do what they did. I don't know what happened, but I don't want that to happen to me. I don't know what they what their crime was, but whatever it is, I want to stay as far away from that as possible. That was way of Rome sending a message to the people saying, you better not mess with us and you better stay in line. That's what's happening. That's what happened to Jesus that day. And it also happened to two others who were criminals, were also being led away to be put to death with Jesus. Verse 33. And when they came to the place called the skull, I'll get back to that in a second, there they, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. We've all seen these images before. And then it says this, one of the criminals who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. Now, Here's what you also need to know about crucifixion. You probably already know because this is a room full of, full of smart people. Crucifixion was ultimately death by suffocation. That's how crucifixion worked. It was ultimately a death by suffocation. Some died by, you know, bleeding out, but mostly it was suffocation. And for you to be able to hang there on the cross, in order for you to catch your breath, you had to be able to 
push yourself up on the, on the cross, on the beam, and be able to then gather your, your, your breath, but that was too painful to be able to push yourself up so that you fell right back down and you just couldn't, you just couldn't gather your breath. Let alone, you couldn't barely speak. You couldn't barely speak. And so the fact that this guy, one of the criminals, were hanging there, he was hurling abuse at Jesus saying, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. It took this guy a lot of effort to be able to push himself up, gather his, his breath in order for him to even speak out in that way. And here's what we all know. We've heard this statement before, right? Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurt people. And this, this guy, in this case, hurt people Hurl abuse. Hurt people, hurl, hurt people, hurt people, hurl abuse. Now, this guy, we don't know anything about him, but here's what we can assume. That if he was willing to put that much effort into lifting himself on the cross, gathering enough breath in order for him to speak out against Jesus or to say something derogatory about Jesus, this guy had to have had a past that was a mess. This guy had to have had a past that he had a, had a whole lot of hurt. If you kind of go and think about and, and, and you sort of, you know, you know, to speculate on sort of his backstory, you have to imagine that this guy's past somehow got him to a place where he had so much hurt and he had so much pain that that hurt and that pain ultimately brought him to a place of despair and that despair ultimately brought him to a place of crime and then ultimately being executed on a cross. But all for all of us, this is the deal. Hurt people hurt people. Hurt people hurl abuse. And for this guy, he his past had to have been a past of pain. I don't know. Maybe his past, he was dealt a bad hand in his life. I, we don't know his story. Maybe he grew up, you know, without a, you know, a, a positive father figure in his life. Somebody that, you know, what he just wasn't present for him and he wasn't there for him. He wasn't there to encourage him and to inspire him and to get him, you know, to a place where he made better decisions with his life. We don't know the story. Maybe he had well-functioning well-adjusted parents, but he was just made bad decisions. He made poor choices. He allowed his pain in his life to make him bitter, not better. Is anybody, can anybody relate to this? Does anybody know anybody like this? Oftentimes we allow our pain in our past to make us bitter, and ultimately we make poor decisions, and those poor decisions bring us to a place where we thought we would never be, and it had to have been true about this criminal. And as a result of that, his insult was his default mechanism. That's all he knew to do. I just, I'm just going to insult. It was his default mechanism, and his retaliation was simply his self-preservation. Here's one criminal on Jesus's right, let's say, we don't know which side he was on. He had a lot of pain. He had a messed up life. 
he was ultimately felt like he was at a place where he just needed to make a decision. He committed a robbery. Murder was probably involved. And now he's being executed. And all he knows to do is to take that hurt and to hurl abuse at whoever he can in that moment. Because that was his default. Because that was his self-preservation. To take the focus off of what's going on in his life and to think, I'm going to just now turn it onto someone else. That was this guy. Then there was another one. And here's what we see about him. But the other responded and rebuking him said, do you not even fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation. Now, again, the effort for this guy to have to speak, right? Are you not under the same condemnation? Next verse. And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our, for our crimes. In, in other words, like, we are getting what we deserve. We are deserve, this is what we get. This is what we had coming to us. We committed this act of crime, and this is a result of that. But then look what he says. But, it's all right. But, yep. Go to the next slide, sorry. So this is what this guy was feeling. This guy was feeling guilt and shame, right? This guy was feeling, the, the one guy is feeling his pain, and his default mechanism was just retaliation and hurt. This other, this other guy, he's now feeling the weight of his decision. And he's feeling guilt and shame. Now, we oftentimes marry guilt and shame together. But guilt and shame do have some distinctions about them. Guilt is something that you know you did wrong, right? So when it comes to committing a crime, it was something that these guys did that made them guilty, that brought them to an execution. That's guilt. Shame is something that you feel or something that you identify with. For example, the prodigal son, the prodigal son, right? When the prodigal son came to his senses, and he was realizing that he wanted to just go back home, regardless of what the consequences were for that. He was working on a speech, and here's what his speech was. His speech was, here's what I'm going to say to my father. Father, I have sinned against you and God, right? Do you see it? It's something that I did. It's something that I did. And then note, here's what he says next. I am not worthy to be called your son. It's his identity. It was now how he felt. It was now where he placed his value and his worth is based on the fact that he wasn't now worthy to become, uh, to be called the son of his, of his father. So that's shame. Guilt, something that you do. Shame is something that you feel. That's what it is. And so that's what this guy felt on the cross. He felt his guilt and he felt his shame, which, by the way, the enemy loves to use these tools against us. When it comes to your past and when it comes to your pain, the enemy only wants you to be 
bitter. When it comes to your mistakes, when it comes to the things that you do, the enemy wants you to feel guilty and ashamed, right? This is the enemy. This is what the enemy is doing. And here's the good news. Here's the good news. Between one criminal and another, the one who had a past of pain and the one who feels guilt and shame, God placed his son right smack dab in the middle of it. God's story is, whatever your pain is, there's an answer. Whatever your guilt and shame is, there's the answer. His name is Jesus. Then he says, then it says this. Next slide. But this man has done nothing wrong. Isn't that good news? To the right and to the left and what I'm looking at in front of me and what you're looking at in front of you, pain, guilt, and shame. And you and I deserve that cross. But the one who had done nothing wrong, he then took your place for you and for me so that you and I wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God poured out on you. Instead, it was poured out on Jesus. That's the good news of the gospel. And you don't have to work for it because the work was finished on the cross. So the man of pain and the man with guilt and shame said, he's our answer because he who knew no sin became sin for us so that we can know and have the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So those who need a comeback, this is a good prayer to declare. Look what he says next, verse 42. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Come on, isn't this what we need oftentimes when we are in our pain, when we're in our guilt, and we're in our shame? God, Father, would you remember me? God, would you, would you not forget me? God, don't forget me. I, I know I made mistakes, but God, don't forget me. God, I know that I just, I made decisions that I'm not proud of, but God, don't forget me. God, I just, I'm just trying to work through some of my past and the, and the situations that I've allowed myself to get into. But God, listen, don't forget me. Jesus, remember me. This is ultimately a great prayer. This is not a deep prayer. This is not a, you know, a, a strong theological prayer. But this is a hopeful, honest prayer prayer. This is a helpful prayer too, by the way. This is a prayer in your despair when you go, hey, Jesus, if, you, if you're there, if you're real, God, would you re just remember me? Would you just not forget me? 
I just feel like I'm too far gone. Things are too far gone. My situation is too lost. I've walked too far away. The circumstances in my life have just built up and piled up in my life, and I just feel like I just can't recover again. But here's a great prayer for anybody that wants to come back in your life. Jesus, don't forget me. Don't forget me. And here's what he says. Jesus said to him, truly I say to you today. Now, here's what he, here's what he could have said, and I think you're smart enough and you've been in church enough to know what he, that he didn't say this, but here's what he could have said. You had it coming, buddy. You deserve it. Yeah, everybody has pain in their life, but you, you chose and you decided to do whatever you wanted to do, live how you ever wanted to live, fulfill your own needs, fulfill your own desires, be selfish, be self-centered, and you had it coming. And you on the other side, yeah, you are. This is just. This is right. You committed that crime. You took the life of those people. You deserve to hang here in agony. That's what he could have said, right? Aren't you glad he didn't? I am. I am so glad that there's a God in heaven who hasn't forgotten you and he hasn't forgotten me, who remembers you and he knows you and he's aware of you and he knows your heart and he knows your decisions before you ever even made them. He's aware of your situation. He knows your guilt. He knows your shame. He knows your pain. And he says, truly, I say to you today, look at this comeback. Look at this comeback. You will be with me in paradise. What? You mean, Jesus, you're overlooking that crime? And you're removing that shame? And you're removing that guilt? Because you simply just declared that I'm guilty, but he's not. I'm innocent. I'm not innocent, but he is. I deserve this punishment, but he doesn't deserve this punishment. Jesus, when you enter into your kingdom, please don't forget me. And because of that, he gets paradise. You're like, is it that easy? For a truly changed heart for a truly changed heart that sees Jesus for who Jesus is and sees yourself for who you really are? Yes, 
it is. Again, that's why it's called the good news. That he took your place. Even when he didn't deserve it. So a couple observations, and then we'll go home, okay? Number one. Never place a period in your story where God has put a comma. Okay? First of all, commas are important people. No, 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 no. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, sorry. Commas are important people. You see why it's important to have a comma there? As if commas are a people group. No, 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 no. Commas are important. People. I I didn't even say it right. People. Another example. I like cooking, my family and my pets. I like cooking, my family and my pets. Commas are important. There's actually a story. There's actually a story. Hold on. That there's a, there was a, a, back when the, I don't know when it was, when the telegraph was a way of communicating uh, through a telegram, telegraph, right? And um, there was a woman who, a rich uh, couple that was, a woman was traveling in Europe. And she came across this beautiful bracelet. And, the, and it was like, the bracelet was like $75,000. So she sends this telegraph back to her husband asking if she can purchase this uh, bracelet for $75,000, okay? He sends her a message back through the gram and says this. Uh, go back if you could, or next one. No, price too high, okay? That's what he sent back to her. No, price too high, okay? This is what they sent to her. No, price too high, She bought the bracelet because this is what she saw. Because of that, there was a lawsuit against the telegraph. And since then, since they, at that point, now they put no, and then they make sure that they write it, comma, price too high. Okay. Here's the point. God places in our life a comma where we sometimes place a period. A comma is important because a comma is an indication that God isn't done with us. That there's a greater story. There's a comeback story that God has in mind. This week I had a birthday, okay? It was November 8th. I was born in 1978, and at some point, I'm going to die. You're like, wow, it really got bleak and dark now, right? The good news is this, that that's not, it's not over for me. Now, the dash in between those years, the dash in which I was born and the dash in which I'm going to die, those are, that represents the time and our time that we have in this life, decisions that we make, you know, the journey of this life that we go through, right? But it's not the end. It's not the end of my story. This time, this life that we have right now is just the beginning, 
It's just the beginning. The most important thing, the most important thing that you and I can do in that time between the year that you were born and the time that you die in that little dash, which by the way, it's a small dash, which represents the shortness of our life. The most important thing is a decision that you make for Jesus in that time. You see, this is the day that I was physically born, but somewhere in here on that dash, I was reborn. I was reborn. And when I die and when you die, if you are born again, reborn, that your life is not defined by a period, but instead, instead, your life is defined now by that comma. Because our life continues on with Jesus forever. That is, the, that, that is actually the beginning of your life. This is just the pregame. This is just the, the, the warm-up. This life now. And what you do in this life now determines what happens past your comma. Adrian Rogers says it this way. Death is not a period, but rather a comma in the story of life. Here's the thing. Your life should never, ever, ever, especially in this time that you have and this dash that you live in right now, your life does not have a period as long as you're still breathing. Your life, it says that God says, listen, I'm going to place commas in your life. Why? So you can know that the story isn't over. The sentence isn't finished. God is still working. Your pain and your shame and your guilt doesn't define you. It is not the definitive period in your story. Jesus says, I'm putting a comma there because he's not done with you yet. Don't let any circumstance don't let any situation, don't let anything about your past or your present or your future define you. This thief, this criminal lived a whole life of crime. And in his last hour, looked at Jesus for who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And because of that, he's with Jesus now. That's your story. Still being written. Don't ever put a period where God says, I'm not done. I'm not done. I'm not done with you yet. Let me give you another observation. Never push away from God because today can be your comeback. Listen, this is a day that the Lord has made. 
And you and I are going to rejoice, rejoice and be glad in it. You know why? Because according to Hebrews 13, 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and, say it with me, forever. We always misquote this verse. We think it says yesterday, today, and tomorrow. It doesn't say tomorrow. It says forever, followed by a comma. Jesus is the same. So what Jesus did thousands of years ago for many, Jesus can still do for you and me today. Jesus loves a comeback. And Jesus isn't done with you. It's not over. It's not over. He says, listen, it can happen for you today. Today. If you say, man, it's, no, no, I can't, it can't. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Because I, I, I don't know about you, but in a day, he changed everything for people. In a moment, he changes everything for people. In a second, he changes everything for people. Think about this for a second. You remember how I said that there, what was written in Luke was that the place where they were crucified was the place called the skull? Did anybody, does anybody remember that? The reason why it was called the skull was this. is because where Jesus was crucified, other words for it was Golgotha, which means that it was a landfill. It was a, it was a dump. And not only would they take people's you know, garbage there and, and create a landfill, but they would take dead bodies there and they would be full of skulls be full of skulls. This is where Jesus and these two criminals were crucified. Think about this. They are at this landfill, at this garbage dump, being ready to be executed. And in that garbage dump where flies are flying around, the stench, can you imagine the stench of that place? The filth of that place? In a day, paradise showed up to the garbage dump. Let me say that again. In a day, paradise showed up to a garbage dump. Jesus is not too far away from you. And in a day, and in your pain, and in your shame, and in your guilt, paradise wants to show up in your life. As bad as it is, as stinky as it is, paradise wants to show up in your life. And that can happen today. Why? Because Jesus is the same yesterday today and forever. A number of years ago, um, I took a team of young adults to the Philippines. We spent 10 days in the Philippines. And one of those days, we were supposed to do a project, but it didn't work out. And we had to improvise. And so I simply asked, is there 
because I've heard, I've heard these stories before, so I just simply ask, is there a, like a garbage dump or a landfill that where people live? And the pastors, Filipino pastors said, yeah, as a matter of fact, there is, but why do you, why do you ask? I said, what if we went to the store and we bought a bunch of sandwiches and, and water and we took it over to the garbage dump and we fed the people that lived there? And, the, and they go, you want to do what? I said, let's just go take lunch to the people that live in the garbage dump. And they go, Pastor, nobody's ever done that before. We don't know what kind of people they, these are. They, I, nobody's, are you sure? I said, yeah, let's just do it. Let's just see what happens. So we went to the store. We made a bunch of sandwiches. We took a bunch of water. And we show up to the garbage dump. And we walk in there. And there's people. There's literally communities of people that live in this garbage dump. And so we walk around and we say, hey, we're meeting over and we had a set designated location that we were going to come back and convene. I said, hey, in a, in a few minutes, we're going to come together. We have sandwiches for you. We have water for you. Come on and have lunch with us. And they were, you know, being told and then we were just gathering. We probably gathered 75 to 100 people that lived in that garbage dump and we simply fed them some sandwiches and some water. And then... They said, Pastor, you should say something to them. I said, what? They said, I don't know. Talk about Jesus. I said, I could do that. So I got up, 75 to 100 people eating lunch that we provided for them that day, and I started talking to them about Jesus. And I'll never forget it. Dozens and dozens of people that lived in that garbage dump, in that community, received Jesus into their life. Yeah, it was one of the most incredible highlights of my life and experiences that I had. And you know what happened that day? Paradise showed up at a garbage dump. It had nothing to do with this guy. It had everything to do with Jesus showed up in that garbage dump. And in the name of Jesus, with a sandwich in our hands, we gave them so much better than a sandwich that day. We gave them Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He can turn it around today. Today. He did for that criminal. Today, you're going to be with me in paradise. Let me give you one final observation. Never forget, when you are positioned near Jesus, you are never counted out. You know that? I mean, where do I even begin when we look at what Jesus did? Anybody that was positioned near Jesus was never, ever counted out. I love the comeback stories of, of, that we read in the gospel. Don't you love the, the couple that was in Cana who ran out of wine? What a terrible thing to happen at a wedding. And they're like, what are we going to do? And then Jesus' mother goes, Jesus is here. He can help you. 
And Jesus is like, now, mom? Yeah, now, son. Okay. Go fill up those water jugs. Fill them with water. And they did, and it turned into wine. Why? Why? Because you should never forget, when you're positioned near Jesus, nothing is ever counted out. There was a woman who was a widow, and she lived in a city called Nain. And it says that they were, there was a funeral procession. And this woman who was a widow lost her only child. It was a young man, it says. And there was a large crowd gathering around this funeral procession. And, and Jesus is in the area. He's nearby. And Jesus sees this widow in her grief and in her pain and in her loss. She clearly lost her husband. Now she's just lost her son. And she's just following behind this casket with her son in the box, in tears, in grief. And Jesus walks over to this woman and says to her, do not grieve anymore. Can you imagine? Can you imagine that happening? Here's a stranger, this crazy man, walking up to this woman, looking at her and saying, listen, you don't need to grieve anymore. It says that Jesus touched the box and says to the boy, get up. The pallbearers lay down the box and the boys burst out of the casket. And it just says that he just starts talking and walking. Isn't that amazing? He just starts talking and walking. Why? Because nothing is ever over when Jesus is near. Nothing and no one is ever counted out when Jesus is near. It reminds me of the woman at the well. She thought, I'm just going to go about my days and live in shame and live in guilt. Why? Because she had five husbands and she was working on number six. And then here Jesus shows up. And Jesus comes in and steps into her life and says, hey, lady, woman, he says, which was a nice way to say it in the Bible. Woman, the water that I can give you, you'll never, ever thirst again. And in that moment, and on that day, her life was radically changed. What a comeback. What a comeback. Oh, two sisters were grieving over the loss of their brother. And Jesus finally makes his way over to where they are at, and, and he tells them, listen, your, your son, he will live, or your brother, he will live again. They say, oh, no, 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 Jesus, you don't understand. He's been, he's been dead for over three days. I mean, he, he's starting to, he'll stink. If you open that tomb, he'll, it's going to smell. That stench is going to come out. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. When I'm near, nothing is ever over. It's nothing is ever over when I'm near. And Lazarus came out of that tomb. Story after story after story after story, when everybody wanted to put a period on it, Jesus put a comma. And when everybody thought that it was over and not, nothing could come back, nothing could ever happen to where it would be a comeback, 
when you're positioned near Jesus, you are never counted out. So Jesus says in Luke 23, and he said to him, truly I say to you, you, you will be with me in paradise. You'll be with me in paradise. Hey, your story is still being told. Your story is still being written. Don't put a period where God puts a comma. And on this day, everything can change. Everything. And when you position yourself with Jesus, you're never, ever counted out. And for us, the greatest decision that you can make in this life is to put your faith in Jesus so that you can be with him, so that you can be with him in paradise. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we need you. A lot of us have dealt with pain in our past, hurts, wrongs. Some have been just happenstance on us and, and oftentimes we, we bring it upon ourselves. We take that pain and we find ourselves in despair and then we make decisions that have real harmful consequences to them. But you're bigger than that. You're bigger than that. And that's not the period on our story. You're still telling it as long as we have breath in our lungs. And God, it, you're a God that does things, makes things happen today. Just like as you did before, just like you can do now, God, we just want to just position ourselves close to you. And God, it's not you that leaves us. It's us, us that walks away because of our guilt and shame and pain. It's us that walks away. So God, we just want to come back to you like that prodigal did and position ourselves near you because when that happens, we are never, ever, ever counted out. It is not over. It's not over. And God, you love, you love to tell a great comeback story. Your gospels, your word is full of them, full of them. Where everybody else thought it was over. But you never did. You never did. And God, I pray, Lord, that all of us in this room all of us watching, all of us listening, that we, with you, with you, are never counted out. It's never over. And you want to have, you have a comeback story to tell. So we're going to put on our rally caps and we're going to believe in and surrender to you and turn our life over to you and give it to you and have you control it and dictate what we do from this point on because it's in your hands. It's yours.
thank you for your love and kindness to us. In Jesus' name, amen.